All right, I'm going to share for a few moments on some lessons. As I look at the life of Moses, he has this incredible encounter with God. But his immediate response isn't, yeah, absolutely, yes, where do I sign? His immediate response is, me? No, 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 send somebody else. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that sometimes. So firstly, Moses doesn't want to face Pharaoh can kind of understand where Moses is coming from. So at the point where Moses is born, Pharaoh has just decided he's going to annihilate all the Hebrew boys. Pharaoh in that day and age had absolute supreme power, complete control. So anything that he said, no matter how irrational, that went down. So for example, if he wants to annihilate all the Hebrew boys, then guess what? All the Hebrew boys were killed. And right on cue, Moses's mum gives birth to Moses. You know, sometimes what we determine to be the worst possible timing can actually be a setup of God, can be God's perfect opportunity to come through in the most unlikely of ways. I believe he does that for a very specific reason. Because if it was all about us, we'd try and take that credit. But when God does it in the most impossible of ways, in the worst, what we think is the worst timing, then he alone gets the glory. But not only did Moses get to survive the annihilation, he's then brought up in the palace right under Pharaoh's nose. I do love the strategy of heaven. There was nothing discreet about this. God's like, I'm going to stick him right under your nose and you're going to pay for his dinner. And so right there under the enemy's nose, Moses is brought up in the luxury of the palace. He's given a great education, never goes lacking for food. He's well taken care of right under Pharaoh's household. But all of a sudden, he comes across, Moses has this real heart for justice. And Moses goes out one day and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And so with this heart for justice, Moses goes in to intercept, heart in the right place, actions, not quite so much. Ever been there? You meant well, but you messed it up. Hmm? And so Moses goes in and he actually ends up killing the Egyptian. And in typical human style, he thinks, okay, if I can cover it over, if I can hide my sin, maybe no one will know. And so he does. He tries to cover it up in the hope that no one will notice. The problem was a few days later, he goes back out, and this time he sees two Hebrews fighting. Again, he goes in to intercept with this heart of justice. One of the Hebrews turns to him and says, what? You're going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And suddenly Moses knows that the worst thing about him, his deepest, darkest, most regretted moment, he's actually known about. And he knows if Pharaoh finds out, he's dead. And so Moses runs away. Moses is around 40 at this point. And he runs away and he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness hiding from one moment of regret. He meets his wife, works for his father-in-law, looking after the sheep, and this is the moment where God encounters him. And Moses wants, and God wants Moses to go and face Pharaoh. Moses is like, are you kidding? I've literally just spent the last 40 years hiding from Pharaoh. Are you joking me? You want me, of all the people, me, I am the worst person on the planet to go face Pharaoh. Lord, send anybody else. Moses' heart is stirred by God to go and face Pharaoh. Now you and I in our daily life may not have to go and face a Pharaoh. There's been moments in Pakistan where we have had to, had to come before Brickmasters and that's felt very much like a Pharaoh moment where you know full well 
you need God's church standing with you in prayer because otherwise you may meet your maker sooner than you'd intended. And there are moments where we stand before certain people and it feels very much like a Pharaoh moment. But in our Monday to Friday of life, we may not face a Pharaoh as such, but Pharaoh represented everything that intimidated Moses. And I can promise you this, we will have to go through certain things in our life where we feel intimidated. We'll have to stand before certain people that may intimidate us or certain situations that may intimidate us. Can I tell you what intimidates me? The fact that there's 50 million people trapped in slavery today. 50 million. That number is so big that sometimes I'm intimidated by it. The problem with that is sometimes we can shrink back because we think in our minds, well, if I can't fix it all, then, well, I'll do nothing at all. But the reality is every single one of us can stop for the one that God brings across our path, the felicities of this life. And the truth is you don't have to go out to Pakistan to see that. You just go out the streets in Crawley. You just go throughout Louisiana and you see God's, the needy people that God's putting on your heart that pass you by day in, day out if we just have eyes to see. But Moses was intimidated by Pharaoh. And so he wanted to shrink back because that was too big. It was too hard. It was too scary. It intimidated him. The second time was this. He doesn't want to face his peers. In Exodus 4 verse 1, it says this, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say that the Lord has never appeared to you? The they that Moses was referring to is his peers. It's the children of Israel. I sometimes wonder if Moses had somewhat of an identity crisis. See, Moses, the Hebrew boy, should have been killed along with some of his peers. But not only did he survive it, he, he got to live in the palace. Meanwhile, all of his peers, the ones who were lucky enough to survive the genocide, had to live in slavery, given very little building supplies and yet harsh demands upon their life, never getting an education, not getting the same amount of food that Moses got brought up in opulence of the palace. There they are working day, eight, day in, day out with their bare hands. And yet here's Moses who never has to break a sweat, gets everything given to him on a plate. Would they resent him because of that? Would they reject him because of that? Moses, the murderer, the man who's gone in, he's got it all together and yet he's gone in and he's completely blown the situation, made a real mess and has ended up killing someone. Will he now be canceled? because of that. I think so many times we contemplate on what people around us think of us and it holds us back because maybe we went through a situation where we felt like we were then canceled because of a certain situation. Maybe your business went through bankruptcy. Maybe years ago you struggled with an addiction of some sort and now in your mind you're canceled from the plans and purposes that God's got for your life because you think you're written off or you think that your peers think that you're written off. And because of that, we hold back. We shrink back from what it is that God's stirring our hearts to do. I want to tell you today, if God can use a murderer, he can use me and you. If God can use the mess ups that we read about in scripture, then guess what? He can use us because anything and everything, even your deepest, darkest regret, when that is submitted to the cross of Jesus Christ, it is done. It's gone. The problem is so many times we make our past our present and we hold back because of that. I want to tell you today, stop making your past your present. 
when it's become before the cross of Jesus Christ, it is washed clean. It's gone. It's done. Don't allow the enemy to tell you that you're canceled because of that. Don't allow your peers to tell you you're canceled because they resent something about you or reject you in some way. Moses, he doesn't want to face Pharaoh. Then he doesn't want to face his peers. And then thirdly, he doesn't want to face his own failings. In Exodus 4 verse 10, it says this, but Moses pleaded with the Lord, Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Verse 13 continues, but Moses protested, Lord, please send anyone else. Do you know five times Moses tries to put God off? Five times Moses comes back at God as, as to why he couldn't be and shouldn't be the one to bring his people into freedom. I think sometimes we do the same thing. God stirs our hearts and actually all we see is everything that we're not. We see all our shortcomings, all our failures, all our insecurities and our weaknesses. We focus so much on that that we miss it. You know, in Pakistan, the work we do is very grassroots. It's literally going into the brick factories and bringing the kids quite literally one by one out of slavery and into our safe house. And for the 85 kids that have been rescued, it's incredible and it's powerful. And it's not just 85 kids, but it's actually 85 families represented through those kids. Because those kids, once they've had their education, they'll be able to gain legitimate employment and pay off the family debt. Not only does it then release their family, but it's their generations of family. Do you know the kids we're working with are second and third generation slaves? Children who were literally born into the brick factories. And so from being toddlers, they were put to work. They're never given a day's education. The first thing that our kids in Sunday school are learning to read is this. These are the very first words that they're learning how to read because they've never had a day's education. And so it's very grassroots. And for the kids that it's impacted, it's powerful. And you, hopefully you're getting to know us by this point. Our heart is literally to stop for the one. That's powerful right there. But equally, when I go to bed at night, it's not the 85 kids that are in freedom that I think about. It's the thousands that are still in slavery. It's the kids' faces that are still etched in my mind, that I played a little game of patty cake with, sat in a brick factory yard that are still in slavery. Kids that still have to get up at four in the morning and work in incredible heat. I mean, you, it's hot here in Louisiana, but in Pakistan, in the heat of the sun, it is intense, but in their winters, it's even colder than in England. I mean, they have harsh weather conditions. And yet it doesn't matter what the weather is. They are forced to work outside in the elements day in, day out, long, long days. I remember walking through the brick factory and at some points it was hard to breathe because the amount of brick dust in the air. So a lot of the kids that we've managed to rescue out, they've either got juvenile arthritis because they've been making bricks with their bare hands from a very young age, or they've got severe breathing conditions because of the amount of brick dust that they've breathed in, day in, day out. And so as awesome as it is for the 85, my mind goes to the thousands, and that's not an exaggeration, the thousands of children that are still in slavery today across Pakistan in either their carpet weaves or in their brick kilns. My mind goes there. And so I remember telling our team, you know, we've got to start to elevate in this. If we want to see long-term national change, 
We have to start working with governments. We have to. And I remember watching the colour start to drain away from their face. You see, in a place like Pakistan, if you speak up for your faith, that's risky right there. But added to that, anyone who spoke out against bonded labour has either disappeared or been killed. Even a child of a young boy called Iqbal Masih, who managed to get out of slavery, and he began to publicly speak, even as a small boy, he began to publicly speak about what he'd endured in order to put a spotlight on the atrocity that's going on. And do you know he was killed for that? I think he was 12 at the time when he was shot dead. And my team on the ground, they're the heroes, they're the ones day in, day out, putting their life quite literally on the line to do the work that we do. And I remember them saying, but Becky, you don't understand. You see, as much as I walk through those brick factories, I get the joy of walking out. I get to come home. I get to live in freedom. The lives we work with aren't so lucky. And my team on the ground said, Becky, you don't understand. If we do that, we'll be killed. Well, we take care of our staff. We believe God has given us our staff as much as he's given us the kids in our care. And so we take care of the staff just like we do the kids. We feel like it's a family, as it were. And so we take very responsibility for that. And so we won't do anything that's going to endanger our teams on the ground. And so we began to pray, God, would you open doors that we can't possibly open? Would you begin to make a way where there seems to be no way? Well, you know, we pray the prayers, but then when God does it, we're always surprised, right? Or is that just me? That's just me. God began to open doors that blew my mind. In January this year, I was invited to go into the White House and share with administrators to the president about the work we're doing in Pakistan. And then the following month in February, I was invited into 10 Downing Street in London to go and share with advisors to the prime minister. And I remember as I'm going around these incredible buildings, just in awe of the amount of history in these places and just honored to be in these places. But all of a sudden, as I'm walking around these places, this voice came up in my mind. And the voice said, who do you think you are? You need to pipe down and get back in your place. You see, the reality is I come from a very working class family. I come from, it's called a council estate in, in England, but it's very working class by English standards. Uh, my dad was a postman. My mum was a cleaner. We come from nothing, but we had everything because we had Jesus. I come from such a loving incredible family. I'll be eternally thankful for what my mum and dad put into me as a small girl. But we come from nothing materially. We're not well connected. We're not, we don't have money. We don't have finance. We don't have influence. But we have a heart that says yes. And as I'm walking through these incredible buildings, feeling incredibly intimidated, because I'm surrounded by all these Harvard graduates and incredibly intelligent people who are making world differences. And then there's little old me from a working class family. And all of a sudden this voice that said, who do you think you are? I remember thinking maybe there was an admin issue. Maybe they meant to invite a Becky Murray who'd come from like Oxford University or Cambridge or something prestigious. And there was some admin mess up and someone somewhere's getting sacked for this mistake because instead they ended up with me. And as all these insecurities began to surround my mind, all of a sudden I realized I was doing exactly what Moses was doing. My eyes were on me. My eyes were on everything that I'm not, because I ain't all that. <laughs> you only have to know me for more than five minutes to realize I'm really not all that. But you know what? While ever we're focusing on who we are, we miss the picture. We miss the whole point. Because actually it was God 
that had opened the doors, the very doors I'd been praying for. And then when it happened, I'm like, whoa, this is too big. It's too hard. It's too scary. Can Matt go instead? He's like a way better public speaker than me. Can he go instead? I speak with a Yorkshire accent. Yorkshire in England is like the equivalent of AL by Yama in America. I'm like, if God wanted someone to speak to the president, they'd have come from London, not Yorkshire. I mean, Alabama, like we're right there, you know? We're like akin. And so I remember thinking, how on earth can I speak? What on earth do I say in this moment? This is too hard. Lord, send somebody else, because my eyes are on me. My eyes are on my insecurities, my faults, my failings. The truth is, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think I've got people who have probably gone through similar experiences where God stirred your heart to do something, but all of a sudden you see every reason as to why you couldn't. And maybe the reason as to why you shouldn't is the Pharaoh. It's the thing that intimidates you. Or maybe it's your peers, the people around you, and what they think about you that holds you back. Or maybe you're a little bit more like me. And actually you're so consumed with all your own failings, everything that you're not. And it becomes this excuse as to why we couldn't and shouldn't do what it is that God's put in our hearts to do. All of a sudden, I realized I was maybe a little bit more like Moses than I'd realized. And all of a sudden, I began to realize that when I was walking into those incredible meetings, of which it was an honor, but I wasn't going in as Becky Murray from the council estate in Rotherham. I was going in with the honor of speaking up of every life that's currently muted, for every life that's still trapped on a brick kiln yard, for every life that's still in a brothel, abused day in, day out, for every little child that doesn't have a voice for their own because no one's listening, I had the honor of speaking upon them. And it was time to take my eyes off myself and all my feeble excuses, and instead, first and foremost, put my eyes on him, the one who'd opened those doors in the first place, but then also to walk in with responsibility of what it was God was asking me to speak up on behalf of the lives, the 50 million that are still trapped in slavery. You know, 50 million, that's the worst it's ever been in human history. We can't have that on our watch. This is our watch. Now's the time where the watchkeepers for our day and our generation and on our watch, we shouldn't have 50 million trapped in modern day slavery today. I called this message I am for two reasons. First and foremost, God is the great I am. When Moses comes to God with excuse after excuse after excuse as to why I could not and should not, God, send anybody else. Literally, anybody would be better for the job than me, God. And God comes back to Moses and says, I am. I'm with you. The I am has sent you. And today in this room, I want to say God is still the great I am. Maybe you've walked into this place and you need a savior today. Maybe you've not been in church before and you've kind of been dragged along by someone and you're thinking, why in the world am I here? Like I could be eating my Sunday lunch by now. What's going on? But I want to tell you the best yes you can ever say is to Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Because if you submit even your deepest, darkest moments to him, he wants to wash you clean today, to bring you into his family. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And if you would just say yes to him, Watch everything begin to change as you submit your life to him, not just as saviour, but as Lord too. There's a big difference. I think sometimes we're great at acknowledging the saviour part. Ooh, come and help me. But you know what? He wants to be your Lord too. And so the great I am, maybe you're needing a saviour. God says, I am. 
Maybe you've walked into this place and you've got a sickness in your body and you need a healer. God says, I am. Maybe you're here and you need a provision for something in particular. Well, God says, I am. Or maybe you're in a season of mourning and you need a comforter today. God says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. The great I am that stood before Moses at the burning bush is the I am in this room today. The I am who's just waiting for you to say, God, I need you. Come and be the great I am in my life. But then secondly, I want to challenge you with this. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord go looking to and through the earth of who can I send? Who will go? And I'm thankful to say God's not looking for the wealthiest person in the room. He's not looking for the most influential or academic person in the room. All he's looking for is the most available. Just the ones that say, here I am, send me. See, the second I am is me and you. Will you be his hands and feet on the earth? God's looking for those who will be his, his passionate ambassadors, the ones who will stand in the gap, the ones who will stand on the behalf of the, of the broken and the lost and the needy. And he's looking for the hearts that say, here I am, the second I am, it's me and you. I want to finish with this final story. A couple of years ago, um, we'd just gone through COVID and anybody who runs either a, a small organization or a small business would know the challenge that COVID brought with it. And um, it felt like survival was, was success at that moment in time. As a family, we were also going through a really painful season. It was just a season of brokenness. It was quite a painful season. It was a season that if someone had given me a remote control to click fast forward, I would have absolutely clicked fast forward because I want to get to that next mountaintop. Yeah, I'm thankful for the mountains with the miracle moments where God's come through again and again. But I'm starting to realize there's purpose in the valleys. It's actually in the valleys that we're more shaped to look like him that never happens on a mountaintop. But it doesn't mean that the valleys are easy. Sometimes those valleys are incredibly painful. And this felt like a season for me of brokenness. And I remember the phone rang, and it was our team in Pakistan. And they'd just been yet again doing Sunday school in another brick factory, and they rang, and they said, Becky, we've just come back from a factory. And there was a three-year-old girl named Mercy. Three-year-old Mercy was raped, murdered, and then just left on the floor of the brick factory for people to walk past, because one, she's just a girl, and two, she's just a slave. My team were heartbroken and said, Becky, what can we do? I remember saying the classic Christian thing of, let me pray about it. But the truth is, I'm just going to be really honest with you, the truth is I put the phone down and I said, no, in my heart, not now, God. I remember saying in my heart, God, any time, but not now. I'm broken right now. Maybe when I'm not hurting, we can reach out. Or maybe when one by one's in a stronger position, not going through a global pandemic, well, then we're able to to increase and reach out more, but God, not right now. And all of a sudden in my heart, as I said, not now, God. I remember the story of the Good Samaritan came to my mind, a story that I'd learned as a little girl in Sunday school. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus very wisely selects two characters. He doesn't select an atheist. He doesn't choose an agnostic, someone who's kind of like, mm, kind of believe, but you know, whatever. Jesus actually chooses a priest and a Levite. 
Two people who, if you would have asked them, genuinely thought they were serving God. Look at me, I'm doing my busy church work. Look at me with my, my Bible under my arm, going about the church work. I'm part of the worship team or part of the, the car park team. And Lord, look at me, on I'm an amazing Christian, so busy with my church stuff. And look at me. But actually the priest and the Levite, when the moment, when the need came in front of them, they chose to look the other way. All the good Samaritan did was choose not to look the other way. Chose not to ignore the problem that was in front of him. And all of a sudden, as I dared in my heart to say, not now, God. All of a sudden, I realized I was the priest. I was the Levite. How could I ever look at Mercy's mom, a mom who's just lost her three-year-old in the most cruel and evil of ways? How could I ever look at her and say, well, when I'm not hurting anymore, then I'll try and help? Can't do that. And so it was probably the hardest yes to this day. But I remember calling the UK board and saying, okay, we're going to double our work in Pakistan. One of the board very wisely said, do we have a budget in place for that? Not yet. Um, but we said yes. And in a time where it didn't make sense, in our weakest ever state, God came through in the most remarkable of ways. Not only with provisions to enable us to double the size of the safe house, but also God comes through in a way for your heart. When you're broken and you still say, here I am, watch what God will do, not just through you, watch what he does in you. It's the most humbling, beautiful. I've walked with Jesus since I was nine. But through that season of brokenness, God came through in the most beautiful, redemptive way. He's so gracious and he's so kind. It's the kindness of Jesus that blows me away. And with today, I want to challenge you. I don't know what you've walked through. I don't know what you've journeyed through. But I do know the Holy Spirit wants to stir your heart today so that you can firstly acknowledge the great I am. But that secondly, you can say, here I am. Use these hands. Use these feet. And maybe your yes today is something as simple as becoming a freedom builder. And if you do that, then on behalf of that child, let me say thank you for the life that you'll impact. Because on this side of maternity, you might not get to meet them. On the other side of eternity, you will. But on behalf until then, let me say thank you on behalf of the lives that this will help. But maybe your yes to God is by serving your own community in some way. Maybe it's by loving your family in some way. Sometimes it's the simplest of actions that can make the most profound difference in people's life. I want to stir your heart today. Would you be someone who says, here I am. Father, I want to thank you that first and foremost, you are the great I am. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son into a broken world to bring true freedom, not just physical freedom, but spiritual freedom too that we might know life in all its fullness. Thank you that you are the great I am. Whatever we need in this place today, when we submit it to you, God, we acknowledge that you are the great I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move through this place today. Would you stir our hearts so that just like the Good Samaritan, we can't choose to look the other way. But once our eyes have seen the need our hearts would be stirred to say, okay, God, here I am. Send me. I pray that you'd use us for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.